On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we recap the Terps' two wins in three games in the opening series at Tennessee. Plus, we pick our Terp of the week and bring back our favorite game, fair or foul. We also have a conversation with Terps' first baseman and relief pitcher Kevin Biondic and preview the Terps' midweek game against William & Mary and upcoming weekend series against Army. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 46 of the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. I'm Justin Galanti, joined by Connor Newcomb here. And Connor, it's the first episode since the season started. It's exciting. These podcasts are now going to be weekly. You and me, probably every Monday night. Talking Maryland baseball, can't get better than that. Yeah, the exciting part at first is that the season started, but the more exciting part is that the Terps have a winning record coming back from Knoxville, and it was a pretty solid weekend for the Terps, and now we start getting into the swing of things. Then you look into this upcoming weekend, the Terps getting back into baseball at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium. Yeah, it's going to be fun, and it's kind of interesting that ever since the schedule came out, however many months ago, we were all looking forward to this Tennessee series, just ready for the season to start. And I remember last year it was the same thing with Maryland going down to Clearwater and then LSU. And from those two trips, Maryland came back one and five. And the excitement level was a little bit down. Now Maryland's two and one. They played really well at Tennessee. And I think there's every reason to be excited about this team. Yeah, you looked at the pitching. The starting pitching was, for the most part, great, especially Friday, Saturday. Bloom and Bloom looked great out there. There were some questions answered. We'll talk about it a little later. Some guys coming out of the bullpen who really haven't seen much time on the mound in recent years for Maryland that came out and did a nice job out of the pen and then you look at that Maryland offense I mean they had guys one through nine who can just flat out hit the ball so a lot of excitement as the season gets underway. So let's start with that Friday night game it was a four nothing Maryland win and I think there were two key storylines and then one underlying line that was pretty important and we'll see where it goes but first you mentioned at the start of Taylor Bloom Rob Vaughn had the decision between Bloom and Tyler Blome, a senior and a sophomore, who to start his first career game as, as a head coach, and he went with the senior Bloom, and he was everything Maryland could have asked for and more. Seven innings, shutout baseball, tied a career high with nine strikeouts, and re he really set the tone and looked like 2016 Taylor Bloom. Yeah, something we talked about on the previous podcast, we were kind of debating, you know, who do you go with? Do you go with the veteran in Bloom, or do you go with Tyler Blome, who was the Big Ten freshman of the year last year? And I think we kind of came to a consensus that, at least at the beginning of the season, you go with Bloom on that, for that Friday night start again. You know, not one of the better programs in the SEC, but still, you see the SEC conference next to a team like Tennessee, and you know it's going to be a tough battle. And Bloom just went out there and completely dominated. I mean, you could argue that might have been the best start of his career here at Maryland. Gave up six hits, no runs nine strikeouts, but I think the most impressive thing, this has been something that Bloom's done his entire career. He went seven innings and did not walk anyone, and plus adding on the career-high nine strikeouts. I mean, he was essentially unhittable against the Volunteers, and then the bullpen came in and did its job in the final two innings. So the other storyline in that game, and just to mention it, since that start, Taylor Bloom has been named the Big Ten Pitcher of the Week, so congratulations to him, a great start to his senior season. Uh, the other note in that game was Nick Dunn, who hit two home runs, and he hit... 40% of the home runs from last year. He hit five last year. He hit two in the first game of the season. And last year, Nick Dunn hit 260. Probably not the year he wanted or the coaching staff wanted or expected. Uh, but he had such a great summer on the Cape with the Brewster Whitecaps. And there's such high expectations on him. He was named a third-team All-American in the preseason by Baseball America. So 
there are so many things to be excited about with Nick Dunn. And he followed through on the expectations, really. Two home runs in that first game. And the one I was really impressed with was off a lefty late in the game. He ripped one over the right field fence into the bullpen. He, all weekend, looked really locked in. Yeah, that's, gonna, that's what's going to put Nick Dunn over the top. You know he can hit the ball, especially against righties. He's going to see a lot of righties. But you're going to see in a lot of late-game situations, especially if Nick Dunn is going to become maybe the power hitter, even a number two power hitter besides Marty Costas on this Maryland team, you're going to see teams go to the bullpen to get lefties out there to face a guy like Nick Dunn and maybe a Taylor Wright if he's right behind him in the order. But if Nick Dunn can show that he can hit lefties and hit lefties with power, he's going to be one of the most dangerous hitters in the Big Ten. And looking a little bit forward in the weekend, he ended up with three home runs on the weekend. As you said, five all of last year, and it a lot of that had to do with just how much better he got over the summer in the Cape Cod League. And Nick Dunn looks to be a force in the middle of the Maryland order. It's a good point you make about Maryland's lineup, the way it was positioned this week, this weekend with Dunn hitting third and Taylor Wright hitting fourth. They both bat from the left side, so if teams have lefty specialists, it won't just be a one-and-done situation late in games. They can use them for Dunn and Wright and maybe even more after that, but the point being that those two guys are going to have to be able to hit lefties, and Nick Dunn and Taylor Wright also both proved they could do that this weekend. The other important note, I think, from game one was in a 3 nothing game in the eighth inning, Maryland goes to Kevin Biondic as the first reliever of the, se of the season. If you haven't heard the story yet, Biondic, his first three years at Maryland, played first base. He was the starter sophomore year, got replaced by Brandon Gum last year, and Biondic was really only used as a defensive replacement. He went up to the Northwoods League this summer and became a two-way player. He throws a knuckleball now. It's pretty crazy. And for him to be the first reliever out of Maryland's bullpen this season was very surprising to me. He hit the first batter he faced. He also walked a batter in the inning. So it wasn't the smoothest of innings, but he got out of it with a big strikeout. First of all, what were your thoughts on Biondic being the first reliever? And then when he got in the two-on-two-out jam, I would have bet money that John Murphy was coming in the game, but new pitching coach Corey Muscara trusted Biondic, and obviously it worked out, worked out. Yeah, I'd have to say surprise was the correct word. When I'm listening to you call that game and hear you say Kevin Biondic is coming out of the bullpen in the eighth inning, I'm thinking, wow. You know, I thought Kevin Biondic's first relief appearance, I really thought the best chance for him to get into a relieving game would be maybe, you know, if a game went like one did on Sunday where Tennessee kind of went up big early and you can get Biondic an inning in, or in a midweek game against a team like William & Mary. But the fact that Rob Vaughn and Corey Muscara had the confidence to go to him as their first reliever in a big situation. You got a three-run lead on the road opening day in the eighth inning, and he came in there and, as you said, he hit the first batter, so you're thinking, oh, no, maybe the nerves are at him. He doesn't have the control that he wants, but he settled down, and with the two-on, two-out, I thought the same thing as you. I thought, hey, he did his job. He got two outs, didn't allow a run to score. Now you go to John Murphy, who Rob Vaughn has called the closer for this team, the best reliever last year, looks to be the best reliever out of the Maryland bullpen this year, and you think, oh, Murphy can definitely get you know those four outs. He was a starter when he came to Maryland, and they let Bionic go. He got the big strikeout. He was pumped. That's got to do so much for his confidence on the mound, and now you're looking at Kevin Bionic because coming into this season, Maybe the bullpen was the biggest question for Maryland, but if you can add Kevin Biondic as not just a guy who can bridge a gap in the fourth and fifth inning or you know clean some stuff up in a blowout, but a guy who can come in in the eighth and get a hold and get the ball to John Murphy, that's huge for this Maryland team. And I think there were a lot of moments this weekend that were sort of like, and I think the main one was this with Biondic when it was two on, two out. Yes, maybe convention says go to your closer right now, trying to have Murphy get four outs. On the other hand, you're saying if Maryland's going to be successful this year, this is a spot Kevin Biondic will need to get out of. So first game of the season, why not let him try and do it? And he did do it. Um, 
now we move to Saturday where it rained and the game got canceled, so it went to Sunday, a doubleheader. And in the first game, Maryland uh, put the Big Ten freshman of the year from last year, Tyler Blome, on the mound. And it was a little bit of a concerning start. The first batter of the game hit a home run, Jay Charleston. But after that, Blome really settled down. He only made it through five innings but gave up two runs. Overall, though, I thought it was a really good job by Blome to settle down after that shaky start. And coming out of that start, I think all signs positive for the Terps. Yeah, I think we saw kind of the same things we saw from Tyler Blome, especially later in the season last year. He kind of gets that pitch count up. He might try to nibble a little bit. Maybe still not 100% confidence with just trusting his stuff and going at some of these big right-handed hitters, especially that he's going to face. I think he has a lot of confidence against the lefties, but sometimes when he sees the righties in there trying to nibble a little bit, that's why he only got through five and a third, but he did his job. He had gave up just the two earned runs. He got the ball over to a very inexperienced Maryland bullpen that came in, but you saw Tyler Blome get the job done and you know, we may see him move to Friday. We may see him stick at Saturday for the rest of the season, but it was another good showing. You know, obviously not to the level of what Bloom did Friday night, but Bloom was solid in his outing, and he kept Maryland in the game, as did that bullpen as the game went on. Yeah, Maryland went to Elliott Zollner out of the bullpen, better known as the Fuzz now. Sean Fisher ends up getting the win, and John Murphy finished the game. Those three all did a good job. Offensively, I was really impressed with how Maryland bounced back in the game. They were down one nothing. They were down 2-1 and they were down 4-2 and came back all three times and then put up a big, big six spot in the ninth inning uh, to win the game. I thought the resiliency of this team was just really impressive. Yeah, I think the most impressive part was game was tied 2-2. Two two. The Terps have gotten one run in the top of the seventh to tie the game at two. You're thinking, oh, they're going to stay in this thing. And with two outs in the bottom of the seventh against that Maryland bullpen, Tennessee gets two runs. You're thinking Maryland, they've got six outs to work with. Tennessee's looking good right now. You, you don't know. And Maryland comes right back in the top of the eighth and immediately loads the bases, gets two runs across. They were very close to taking the lead in that eighth inning. The good play by some Tennessee outfielders cutting Randy Bednar down at the plate in that eighth inning. But then you go to the ninth, and I think the biggest thing was in that eighth inning, Maryland putting up a zero. Sean Fisher going back out there after giving up a run at the end of the seventh inning, putting up a zero in the eighth and then getting it back to the Maryland offense, which you kind of felt that they had scored one in the sixth, one in the seventh, two in the eighth. You knew they were going to get at least one run across the board, but they just kept piling on, and six runs was more than enough to win that game in the ninth. And one of the keys going into this weekend was this new idea of Marty Costas batting leadoff, and it showed up in that game when it was the ninth inning. Maryland had first and second, nobody out with the 8-9 hitters on base. Justin Morris drew a walk. Randy Bednar hit a single. And you're saying if you're Rob Vaughn, these are the kind of spots I want Marty Costas in. Pessimists would say as a leadoff hitter, you won't get those opportunities. But when you have a hitter as good as Bednar batting ninth, it seemed like all weekend Marty Costas was up with men on base. And he hit that go-ahead two-run double with first and second, no one out. So that made that Marty Costas hitting leadoff experiment uh, looked like a pretty good idea, but it was a good win for the Terps. They clinched the series. Then in the second game on Sunday, uh, things didn't go so well. It started off great. Marty Costas hits a leadoff home run. Nick Dunn hits a two-run home run in the first inning. You're feeling really good, and Will Neely looked like the starter for Tennessee. Looked like he was on the ropes right away, but then Tennessee got five in the first, five in the second. Hunter Parsons started the game for Maryland, and unfortunately for the Terps, it was just a lot of what we saw last year from Hunter. Yeah, the way the game started, you just – you almost kind of felt for Hunter Parsons in the first batter of the game for Tennessee. He gets three runs, as you said, on the two home runs. He comes out. He gets into a 3-0 count to start the game, and then he battles back into it, makes a good pitch, little roller down the third baseline. Taylor Wright makes a nice play 
just barely can't get the runner at first for an infield single. You're thinking, all right, Parsons, he got behind, he battled back, made a good pitch, just got unlucky. And then things kind of snowballed after that. Parsons barely got himself out of that first inning and then got back into trouble in the second and wasn't able to get out of even that second inning, which is something you saw at the beginning of last season when Parsons kind of was slotted in as that midweek starter for a couple of weeks. But you hope Parsons can kind of rebound off of a start like that, clear his mind when he gets his next time out on the rubber as a starting pitcher. But as you said, it was just kind of a rough game in the first two innings. The Terps battled a little bit offensively as it went on, but even though you lose, you, you look at the whole weekend as a victory taking two out of three on the road. Yeah, Rob Vaughn, the head coach for Maryland, said that they are going to run back Parsons next Sunday against Army, so he'll remain the Sunday starter. I think the big moment in this second game on Sunday was the bottom of the sixth inning when Billy Phillips pitched his first inning as a Maryland Terrapin uh, after overcoming leukemia, and that was one of the most powerful moments I've ever seen on a baseball field. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, the video that's on Maryland Baseball's Twitter, I urge you as strongly as I can to go watch it. Um, I haven't known Billy for that long or that much at all, but even I was tearing up in the press box. There were no dry eyes in the dugout or anywhere. Um, that was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen, not only that he got out on the mound, but right before he started the inning, A.J. Lee went in and, and gave him a hug, and then he strikes out the first batter. He gets a double play to complete a scoreless frame, and then everybody coming out of the dugout giving him hugs, and the reception he got, and then on the bus ride after and in the locker room uh, when guys were showering after the game, everyone just saying how happy they were for him. And to see the look in Billy's eyes and how happy he was, uh, it's a special moment that I, I know I'll never forget. And I, I'm pretty confident anybody who knew the situation that was in the ballpark will never forget either. Yeah, and I think the, the coolest part of it is, you know, you saw that video that Maryland Baseball posted over the winter with Billy Phillips throwing really his first pitch off a mound since coming back and it was a strike right down the middle on a fastball and he was looking confident gave the little fist pump the coolest part about this it's not even just a feel-good story now Billy Phillips showed that he's going to be a part of this Maryland bullpen as this team goes on he comes out on the road against a team like Tennessee and he puts up a zero in the sixth inning when Maryland you know they had a couple innings where in that game where they kind of loaded the bases left them loaded the offense was showing like hey we can maybe still try to break into this game and those are still big innings to pitch and Billy Phillips as you said strikes out the first batter gets the big double play so not only does he get back on the mound which is an incredible story but big for the Maryland baseball team they've got another lefty down in the bullpen that they can go to yeah last year they didn't really have lefties but this year uh, we saw Billy Phillips we saw Sean Fisher who got the win in the first game on Sunday, and we saw Grant Burleson as well on Sunday. So something to be excited about if you're in the Maryland bullpen. But, yeah, that moment with Billy was incredible, and that's the kind of thing where if, if that doesn't put things into perspective for you, I don't know what will. And uh, overall, taking perspective, I guess, on Maryland's weekend, to take two of three on the road against an SEC opponent, um, that's pretty big time. It's a great way to start the season. And some discussions we were having is, look, I mean, Tennessee's finished – or projected to finish last in the SEC East. They were not good last year. They might not be good this year. But in terms of RPI, based on who they are going to be playing all season, SEC opponents, it's still going to be a pretty high number. So these are going to be quality wins for Maryland. So a great way to start the season. Yeah, incredible for Maryland. As you said, you know, maybe Tennessee does finish last in the SEC or around the middle of the pack to the bottom. But 
they're playing so many good teams in the SEC that even if they're playing a team like LSU or a team like Alabama and they can pick up one win in a three-game weekend series, the RPI goes up so much because those teams, they're going to be in the top 10, the top 15, at least the top 25 the entire season. So Tennessee's going to be one of those teams. So maybe when you look at the record, it's not going to be great, but with the teams they're playing, you're still going to see them as a tough out. And for Maryland to get two wins to start the season and you know you compared it to last year when they came back home at one and five and the morale was a, a little bit lower you know they, they played LSU which ended up being the second best team in the country going all the way to the College World Series finals but you know to lose to a couple teams maybe they shouldn't have down in Clearwater last year coming back one and five not a great start but two and one now obviously another road game in the midweek against William and Mary and if they can handle their business there coming back three and one to College Park to take on Army would be a great start to the season. So now we're going to bring back a couple segments from last year that we enjoyed and we hope you enjoyed. We're going to start with our Terp of the Week, where we pick, uh, I guess it's pretty much self-explanatory, our Terp of the Week. Uh, I will let you go first on this one, Connor. Uh, Is it too easy to say the Terp of the Week is Taylor Bloom? I mean, he came out and set the tone for the Maryland Terrapin. Seven innings right out of the gate. On Friday night, the nine strikeouts, the no walks for the Terps. And I think the big thing is when you when you look at Maryland and its pitching staff, you see what Blome did last year, even though his last couple of starts in the regular season weren't as great, still Big Ten freshman of the year. He's like, he's the future. And you're going into the season thinking, oh, you know, maybe Blome will start the first few Saturdays. But you think he's going to slot into that Friday night role. And you're hoping his ceiling is he can become a Brian Schaefer and just continue to give Maryland innings. But Taylor Bloom is still there. He's the senior. And I think he's the guy who's going to lead this rotation, no matter if he's on Fridays or Saturdays this year. He's going to lead the Maryland rotation just from the experience. He's pitched in regionals all the way back to when the Terps were playing at UCLA a few years ago. He was a freshman pitching in regionals. Taylor Bloom is going to be a big part of this Maryland team, and he showed it. You know, you talked about on the broadcast a little bit. He's been known for that 58-mile-per-hour big looping curveball. Not really throwing that pitch anymore, but still having success with his other pitches and he really showed it with an incredible performance Friday night. I can't argue with that pick. I, I, I also think you couldn't argue with a Nick Dunn pick hitting three home runs uh, in total in the three games this weekend. But I'm going to go with the sentimental pick, I guess. I'm going to go Billy Phillips as my turf of the week. I, I just can't go any other way to throw that scoreless inning and create the moment he did on Sunday evening. Uh, congratulations to Billy, and that's why he's uh, my turf of the week. Now, our fun game from last year, fair or foul, it's coming back. I hope you're all excited for it. For those of you that don't remember or haven't heard it yet, fair or foul is a game that started without a name last year. Then it just became, I think, work in progress or something like that. And then we came up with fair or foul. And the idea is that we make a blanket statement about the Maryland team, a player, the team as a whole, something like that. And then Connor and I, or I, will decide whether that is a fair statement, a foul statement, or something that is too early to be determined, but we are going to try and stay away from a TBD because that's no fair and that's no fun. Uh, and Connor loves hot takes. so I, fan, of, fan of the hot takes here on the podcast. So you're, not, you're really not going to hear me say it's too early. Even, even if in my mind I think it's too early, in my, in my heart I want to give a hot take. So we'll try to stick stay away from the uh, it's too early to tell. All right, so our first fair foul of 2018, Taylor Bloom will be the Friday night starter all year. Now, when we had our podcast last month, I believe you said that Tyler Bloom would start the last Friday of the year when I asked who will start the first Friday, who will start the last Friday, you said Bloom at Tennessee, 
Bloom in Indiana actually on Thursday, but that's just the way the schedule is. But have you changed your mind after the one start from Taylor Bloom? I think just because Bloom is younger, he might have a little bit higher of a ceiling than Bloom does. I think by the time we do get to the end of the season, I think it's going to be Bloom on Fridays or on that final last Thursday against Indiana. So I will say, I guess I would say that's foul that Bloom would be the Friday night starter because I think Bloom will take over that role. But as I've talked about, I think the great thing is if Bloom continues to prove himself, he could be pitching almost that well all season and still end up on Saturdays. And Maryland could have a Friday-Saturday combination that could turn out to be one of the best in the Big Ten and could be an incredible thing for Maryland to have to go Friday-Saturday and have teams, you know, a lot of teams, you're looking at Friday where you're like, wow, we got to get by this Friday guy and then let's try and pick up our two wins Saturday and Sunday. But if you're looking at a Maryland team where it's like that Fridays and Saturdays, whether it's Bloom, Bloom, whatever combination it is, it's going to be a tough out for other teams in the Big Ten. But I do think just because of Bloom sealing what he did last year, I think he will end up at some point becoming the Friday starter. I'm going to say it's a fair statement, and I think I'm really excited about the year for Taylor Bloom. He looked fantastic on Friday. He's absolutely one of the unquestioned leaders of this team. And if he pitches well, I just don't think there's any reason to move him off Friday nights. Look, if you have a 1A pitching on Saturdays, then you're going to win every Saturday. I mean, that's a great thing for Maryland. Um, so I, I think that Taylor Bloom's going to have a great year, and I think that he'll stay the Friday starter. I, because if the performance isn't drastically better from Tyler Bloom than from Taylor Bloom, I don't think there's any reason to make the switch. And, yes, I agreed with you, I believe, on, on our podcast that last month that Bloom would be the last number one starter of the year. After seeing that performance from Taylor Bloom, I, I was incredibly excited and encouraged. So I'm going to say fair statement, uh, Taylor Bloom will be the Friday night starter all year. Statement number two, the Marty Costas leadoff idea works. I think that's very fair. You saw it over the weekend, Marty Costas hitting at the top of that Maryland lineup. Four hits, 13 at-bats for Marty, a couple of doubles. He drove in four runs, of course, hit that leadoff home run in game number three of the series. But to me, if you're looking at a purely analytical perspective, which if you listen to me talk, you know I like to do a lot, you really you want your best hitter to get the most at-bats. And the place where you get the most at-bats is at the very top of the lineup. And if you're looking at coming from last year into this year, the best hitter on this Maryland team is Marty Costas. And if he's at the top over the entirety of the season, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to get the most at-bats. And statistically that's what you want from your best hitter so I think it's fair that it worked out it looked you know he got the big double in the ninth inning of game two he let off game three with a home run I think it fits him well and I know people will argue that Zach Jankarski may have been the best leadoff hitter in the Big Ten last year but if Marty's stats are better he should get more at bats over the season than Jankarski and I think he'll do fine in the two spot as well I think it's also I, or I also think it's a fair statement and I think it's fair because Randy Bednar is the one batting ninth. If you have somebody that's batting 215 or 220 in the nine spot and they're never on base for Marty, then I don't think this is a good idea. I think Marty's going to hit no matter where he is in the order, but I expect Randy Bednar, who a lot of people think is going to win the freshman of the year in the Big Ten, him batting ninth, I think he's going to have a big year. He'll be on base all the time for Marty, and that's going to set up the RBI opportunities that Costas had all weekend at Tennessee. I think that will continue this year, and because of that, I think this Marty Costas leadoff experiment is something that is going to work. 
Uh, our third statement is going to be Nick Dunn will have double-digit home runs. He had three in three games this weekend. Last year hit five. Yeah, so I don't think he's going to keep up the pace of one home run per game. I don't think that's <laughs> maybe a little bit too much to ask out of Nick Dunn or, frankly, any player who has ever played the game of baseball. But I do think it's fair to say he's going to have double-digit home runs. I mean, he had the five last year, but you saw he could hit the ball over the summer in the Cape Cod League, and you see what kind of power he has. I mean, last year with the five home runs and even the year before, you know, a, a doubles hitter, and you see this a lot with hitters more in the major leagues, but as they develop more and they're – the kind of the doubles hitters kind of become home run hitters as they get more power. And I think Nick Dunn just has a sweet lefty swing. And if he can hit lefties even at all, or if he, especially if he can hit lefties well this year, I think he can definitely have over 10 home runs for the Terps. I agree. I'll say fair statement. When you have three through three games and you have about 50 left, I think there's a good chance we get to see uh, seven more home runs at least from Nick Dunn. Next statement. Mark DeLuya, a freshman, was drafted by the Texas Rangers in last, last summer's draft, was somebody that was very highly touted and people thought would be the midweek starter, and I think it would be very easy to be concerned after DeLuya's outing in the second game on Sunday where he came in, the first batter he faced at a grand slam, gave up two more home runs. It would be very easy to be worried about Mark DeLuya, but our statement is we should not worry about Mark DeLuya because of that outing. I'll go first on this one. I'm going to say fair statement. It's incredibly difficult to bring in a freshman, his first collegiate appearance, with the bases loaded and no one out. And I think DeLuya did a really good job in a game that was probably already kind of out of hand when he came in, eating innings, pitching confidently. The coaching staff was happy that he pitched with no fear. Uh, those are the words they use. So I'm going to say trash this outing. It's just good experience for Mark DeLuya. And you should be excited about, as excited about him as you were two days ago. Yeah, I'm going to say it's a fair statement as well. I mean, you put it perfectly. You bring in a freshman for his first ever pitching appearance at the collegiate level, and he comes in with the bases loaded and nobody out. And I know it was probably a nightmare scenario for him on his first pitch of his collegiate career to give up a grand slam. But after that, you know, he gave up a few more runs. He ended up four earned runs, but he ate through three and two-thirds for the Terps, showed he could have some length even if he is – coming out of the bullpen this season for Maryland. And he only walked one. He struck out two in three and two-thirds. So he showed off the stuff a little bit. And, you know, he, coming in, as Rob Vaughn kind of talked about earlier in the season, he thought that Mark DeLuya was definitely a strong candidate to start the midweeks. We don't know if he'll get the start this Wednesday because of pitching almost four innings on Sunday. But obviously he's going to be better slotted coming in to start a game in the first inning. And we're going to really see how he can work when you have to come in in your first appearance, pitching out of the stretch with your team already down by a couple of runs and they've given up five runs in the first inning. And you're looking at you to somehow tightrope your way out of that situation. It's just not really a great scenario for a freshman to be in for the first time. But I think when Mark DeLuya gets not even his first bullpen appearance after this, but when he gets his first start, I think that's when we'll really see what he can do on the mound. So, Hopefully he can do this, and I think for me at least, I'm kind of throwing that one out the window. I agree as well. So we both say that's a fair statement. Our final one is going to be about our guest that we'll have coming up in a few minutes, but I think we can both agree that John Murphy will be the most important reliever for Maryland this year. But our statement is here. Kevin Biondic will be the second most important reliever for the Terps this year. It's close, but I'm going to say fair now, I'm not going to take the angle on this of Kevin Bionic will be the second best reliever on Maryland because you just don't, just don't know what guys will emerge. And I think John Murphy, if he continues, will be the best. Anybody could really take that number two spot. But I think most important, 
it fits Kevin Biondic because, first of all, he was the second most important reliever in game one on Friday night coming in and shutting the door in the eighth inning. I think the other thing is last all of last season, you had no idea that Kevin Biondic could even be a part of your bullpen. And then he goes to the Northwoods League and pitches the lights out over the summer, and he comes back, and all of a sudden he's a pitcher. You know, the classic Maryland Jamal Wade story coming back to now Kevin Biondic as well. What we saw from Wade last year is maybe he wasn't the go-to reliever for the Terps, but he had the stuff and the confidence to come in and get outs when you needed them last year. And maybe you'll look to see that from Kevin Biondic again. And I, the, the reason I say most important is because going into this, even going into the season after the summer, you really didn't know what you were going to get from Kevin Biondic because you hadn't really seen him pitch to you know, a D1 hitter every single time he's out there. And now you see him get three big outs against Tennessee. That's so important just to have another guy in the bullpen. Even if he isn't your quote-unquote setup man the whole season, he's going to be so important if he can just get important outs. I am going to take the easy way out on this one and say it's too early to tell. And the reason I say that is because we're going to have to see how Rob Vaughn uses Biondic. We saw both times he came in the game this weekend where he came in from first base. And when you do that, you lose the DH and Biondic's spot goes into the lineup. But because of that, um, you wonder if Biondic will ever be able to throw extended innings or else you might start to have to pinch, be pinch hitting for a pitcher every time through if you have to bring in a different pitcher after Biondic. So let's say you bring him in in, in the eighth inning of a tie game, he pitches a one, two, three inning, and then you don't want him going more than an inning, and his, his spot in the order comes up maybe two innings later, let's say, uh, you, you already moved him back to first base or something like that. Then your pitcher spot is up, and you start, you have to start pinch hitting for pitchers because you're lo- you lose your DH. So that might limit the options for Rob Vaughn on how long Bionda can go into a game. So I'm going to say actually foul statement for right now. I don't have an answer for who I think number two is going to be because there's a lot of questions about the bullpen. But just because of the fact that there are some roadblocks for using Kevin Biondic for more than an inning or two in an appearance. I'll say that he won't be the second most important reliever, but that's no slight on him. I think he'll be very impactful uh, this year for the Terps. And this also is in the business what they call a segue because I had the chance to sit down with Kevin Biondic and talk about his transition to becoming a pitcher after not playing too much at first base last year, what it was like for him in the Northwoods League, and really talk about all things Terps baseball as he's now a senior. So here's that chat with Kevin Biondic. Now joined by Maryland first baseman and pitcher Kevin Biondic here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Kevin, thanks for taking some time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you guys got off to a good start this weekend. You took two of three at Tennessee, and let's go back to game one. It's 3 nothing in the bottom of the eighth inning, and the first relief pitcher of the season for Maryland is none other than Kevin Biondic, a guy who's a senior and had not pitched in a Maryland uniform in his life. Um, were you surprised that you were coming in the game? Um, well, Moose and Vaughn uh, gave me a heads up on what the plan was, and uh, they just said be ready to come in around 7th or 8th, you know, um, and that was my plan for the day, and then handed off to Murph in the ninth inning. So uh, I had a good idea, you know. Probably at the start of the this fall, I didn't had no idea that was going to be my role, but <laughs> um, uh, but I was prepared on uh, Friday. Yeah. So you come in and you ha- you threw a scoreless inning, and then you did a good job as well in the Sunday game. But one thing I found 
interesting or fun to watch was your knuckleball. And there was one you threw to Justin Morris in the first game that appeared to just hit him in the mask. There was no contact with the glove. And I talked to Justin after or the next day and you, and he said it kind of just took a left turn. Um, how are you doing controlling that pitch right now? <laughs> well, that's a pitch I've thrown my entire life, and I've seemed to just some days it has a lot more movement than other days. And I usually have a good idea of throwing strikes and balls, but it has a mind of its own, you know, so. So let's go back to this summer where you were you played in the Northwoods League and you turned from a first baseman to a two-way player. Now, the same thing happened last year in the NECBL with Jamal Wade. What was the story of how you got on the mound for the first time and then continued to stay on the mound? Because with Jamal last year, it was kind of like the Keen Swamp Bats, his team, they were getting killed in a game. They needed a pitcher. He came in, did well, and the coach said, all right, why don't you keep pitching? What was it for you? Yeah, um, well, it actually started here at uh, Maryland, we used to joke around about, oh, like I could pitch, and Coach Chef would always be like, oh, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> kind of blew it off. And then this summer, um, we go into the season, and we're just struggling for arms. A lot of guys went home with injuries and whatnot, and, you know, I rose my hand when they asked who can pitch, and they said, okay, what do you throw? And I said, a knuckleball and a cutter, and they thought I was kidding. <laughs> and, and I think uh, it just took off from there. When did it seem like a real possibility that you could become a pitcher as opposed to just kind of eating in innings for a team that needed arms? Uh, I think in the summer, um, I think, uh, you know, the first outing, you know, it, it was like, okay, maybe it was just a little luck. And then the second outing, I go out there and I went three innings and sh like shut them out. And I was like, oh, maybe that was just luck. And then I think the third time I realized, you know, I might actually have something going here. And, and it's been good so far I mean you looked good in the fall as well and you've been good against Tennessee now were, were there conversations this summer with coach Vaughn of like hey I'm pitching now maybe this can be a thing or did that not start until you got back or maybe coach Muscara also um I I think after my third outing fourth outing uh in summer I shot Vaughn a text and you know I said uh hey uh I got I'm pitching now a little bit and I'm up to about 91 92 with a fastball so you know, if we need some arms this year, you know, I, I think I could help out. And uh, I think Moose really helped me throughout the fall learning more pitches. And my sliders come a long way. My fastballs come a long way as well. What was the response from Coach Vaughn when you told him that? <laughs> he got – he thought I was – wasn't kidding, but he got a good laugh out of me. He <laughs> goes, you know, I think we're going to need some pitchers this year. We could definitely use you, yeah. So in terms of playing at Maryland your sophomore year, you were pretty much the starting first baseman the whole year. And then last year – Things didn't necessarily go your way offensively. Brandon Gum ended up being pretty much the full-time first baseman, and you were a defensive replacement. What did that experience do for you as somebody who was playing all the time and then maybe not so much, and now you're back in as prominent of a role as there can be? I think it just taught me to uh, be a good teammate no matter what. I think uh, um, freshman year came in and maybe didn't play as much as I wanted to, and then towards the end of the season I played every day, and then – Going into sophomore year, I played every day, and you know I wasn't. I was used to playing every day. I got comfortable playing every day, and then when that hit, that I wasn't in the lineup every day. I think it just made me a better teammate. One thing you did as a teammate was cause some absolute shenanigans in the dugout, most notably in the Big Ten tournament. Where did that come from? Where were some of the ideas that you and Taylor Bloom and the other guys have? I mean, were you just thinking of those the night before, or did they come out of nowhere? My favorite was the uh, the play chart with the tape 
headphone <laughs> headset. I, that one was awesome. Yeah, um, I think uh, me, Bloom, and uh, I think Pat Heisel, you know, just came up with stuff on the spot. You know, a lot of stuff from Family Guy and whatnot. <laughs> just some outrageous things that you would never think of saying on a baseball field. Did you have a favorite? Um, I don't know. There's so many, so many good ones. Um, I think uh, we did this one where I'd, I'd yell slacks, and I know Chef and his kids were saying it at home, so I think that was probably one of my favorites. <laughs> I really liked when Chef went to the bathroom during the Big Ten tournament, <laughs> and then you guys all clapped when uh, yeah. when he came out. <laughs> Speaking of Coach Chef and this summer, um, as a senior, somebody who had been here playing for him for three years, what was it like for you when you got the call or text or whatever you got that he was not going to be here anymore? You know, I was happy for him. I think uh, that's a great job for him and a good step forward. And, uh, you know, I didn't really know what to do. Um, I was a little confused on the whole situation, like who was going to step in. And I think we got set up really nicely with Coach Vaughn. How important do you think it is to have somebody who's already been here taking over a program? Because we talked about this a lot on the broadcast this weekend where, you know, you guys had a first-year head coach getting started and so did Tennessee. But Tennessee was in a situation where their coach had gotten fired and Tony Vitello comes in kind of trying to build from the ground up, whereas this is a program that's been in the NCAA tournament three out of four years and Coach Vaughn's kind of picking up where Coach Steph left off. Yeah, I think it's huge. I think uh, the culture was already set here almost, and I think Vaughn, that was Vaughn's culture already. And I think, you know, he just took another step forward with that same culture and I think the guys are really buying into the, the same same culture that he brings to the table. What are the biggest differences with this staff as opposed to the one that was here the last three years? Um, you know, I think uh, just a lot of li like laid back a lot more. Um, that's not a hit on Chef at all. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think the music, the, the energy throughout practice, um, I think it just – not it's not bad it's not good it just it just gives us more energy it feels like better to be out there every day the pants are also different you don't have to <laughs> wear the high stirrups are you happy about that oh yeah i think uh i was the first one to get a smile out of that text uh that's <laughs> i was waiting wait four years for that and i think i finally got <laughs> it so i'm i can't complain anymore speaking of music there was music playing on the bus from the hotel to tennessee this weekend, and I thought the music was fantastic on Friday. It was getting everyone fired up. And then the first song I heard Saturday, I don't know who played it, but it was an Aloe Black song from an Eminem commercial. And I was like, <laughs> okay, this is not getting me excited at all. I mean, I'm not playing. Um, what do you think of the music on the bus? You know, I, I don't complain with any music. If I can listen to anything, so I don't really mind. You're from Illinois, so is there a specific type of music? It's not really a country vibe. No, it's... It just depends. My neighborhood's all classic rock, and that's what I love. So so before we go any further with this, um, you're from Illinois. I'm from Connecticut, so New England. Uh, are you going to try and tell me that deep dish pizza is good? Deep dish pizza is delicious. Is it really? It is delicious. Do you think it's better than New York-style pizza? Um, and, and, like, don't talk it, about anything that you get here in College Park because it's all terrible. <laughs> don't let anybody tell you this is good pizza. If you're dining in. I think deep dish is the way to go. Because there's a bathroom nearby? <laughs> um, but if it's like a quick buy a slice and get out, it's definitely the the thin crust for sure. Okay, that's fair. Um, this fall, during fall ball, 
offensively, the coaching staff said that your fall was the best they'd ever seen from anyone. What got into you? Um, I'm not sure. I think I was just seeing the ball well. You know, I, I, I couldn't even tell you what was going on. It seems like your confidence is sky high right now when it was all fall and it looked like you were shocked when you made an out. Like you were that confident that you were going to do something or at least hit the ball hard at the plate. Where does that confidence come from for you? Um, I think it just comes from, like, I just have confidence in myself. I think uh, coming off a, a good summer and a good fall, I think uh, I expect so much of myself, and I think I just have confidence in for whatever the team needs to get done. As a senior, what's your role as a leader on this team? Because just observing the last few weeks, I've, it seems to me that uh, the three really big leaders, or, or I'm going to say four, is Justin Morris behind the plate, you at first base, Taylor Bloom leading the pitching staff, and John Murphy in the bullpen. So, you know, kind of what's your role and what do you have to do to be a leader for a group with a lot of young or inexperienced players? Um, I think it's just us having respect of them and them having respect of us. I think we work really well together. I think uh, those guys you mentioned and uh, Jankarski leading the outfield, yeah. I think we – we do a great job together. Um, I think it just all meshes well. I think there's no head guy. There's no low guy. I think we all work together to make that final product. The coaching staff has talked a lot about how you play with no fear. And this is just a guess on my part, but you played hockey growing up and you were a goalie, and I would think you'd have to have no fear <laughs> coming from that. Do you think that's where that comes from? Uh, definitely. I think uh, comes from hockey. comes from my, uh, my dad, who is always a little tough on me. Uh, but always, but always gave me the freedom to do what I wanted. You know, he he was it was never his dream. It was always my dream, but he was always pushing me to as hard as I could. You know, as like do as best as I I could. Um, so I think it comes from both. So talking about the last weekend, you guys got started at Tennessee. We mentioned the four nothing win on Friday night. Nick Dunn hits two home runs, and Taylor Bloom matched a career high with nine strikeouts, seven scoreless innings. He was named the Big Ten Pitcher of the Week. How important was it for you guys to get off to a good start with that win on Friday after last year, the one and five start um, that ended up not mattering as much because you finished the year 38 and 23, got an at large bid to the NCAA tournament. But how much did it do for the team's confidence to get that one and oh start? I thought it was great. I think it was great for Taylor Bloom to get off to a good start because if we're going to be good, we need him to be good. And I think that was big for him and big for us. And yeah, these games might not mean much right now and whatnot and but um, I think that was huge for us for him to get off to a good start and on the bus there was a cool moment where Taylor gave coach Vaughn the the game ball winning his first game as a head coach how cool was that to see it was cool you know I wasn't here for coach chef's first win and uh, uh, I didn't know how this was going to go actually with coach Vaughn you know coming in this fall and I think the fall went so smooth and it was actually really really cool to see him get his first one you were part of the pack, obviously, as a hitter, so he was working directly with you the last three years, and now this year he's the head coach. What changes have you seen in him specifically? He, the first meeting, he came in and he said, there's no more pack, there's no more pitching. It's a team. Like, we're going to be together. And um, I think that was the first step to making it a group, a great culture because he was the first one to be go on the pitchers like and this year it's such a difference of how he goes and tells them like how to change and he goes to the infield and helps them and then goes to the outfield and then the catchers and then, then he tries to coach everyone and I think he's done a great job 
So going forward with this season, you're a senior. This is going to be your last he year here. What do you want to be kind of your lasting memories of your senior year? I think just leave this place better than when I walked in. I think uh, the seniors um, were – we're trying to make this as the, obviously the best year we can, but I think it starts with just the regular season. You know, we have we can't look too far to Omaha yet. We have to look to uh, a Big Ten championship regular season, and then we can go to the Big Ten tournament and then do work there and then figure out the regional and then win a regional and then on from there, obviously. The last couple of years, this team's been picked in the preseason to win the Big Ten. This year, the coaches voted you fourth. Does that put a little chip on your shoulder? Definitely. Uh, Did you even know that? I, I I had no idea. Okay, I apologize for telling you that. It, honestly, none of us pay attention to those preseason rankings and whatnot. No, we don't care. We just go out there and play. Um, I don't care if they had us go in last place this year. I think the Big Ten, when we come into town, it's a little fear gets set in. Now, aggressiveness is something this team's talked a lot about how aggressive you guys are going to play and maybe conventional wisdom's going to go out the window a little bit. And even though there was the f the 4 nothing win on Friday, some people might have been a little worried that you guys lost five outs on the bases. But is that kind of takes some bad with the good that's going to come with playing so aggressive? Um, I think, you know, we're just going to play aggressive. We don't <laughs> care if we get picked off. Um, we don't care if we get caught stealing. You know, I just stole a bag the other night. Yeah, I, think I was surprised by that. Exactly. <laughs> if I'm stealing bags, everyone's going to steal bags. You know, we got Justin Morris right behind me in the order. He's going to steal bags. Like, we're going to play to win every game aggressive as, as we can. So I was personally a little surprised, I guess, when I heard Marty Costas was going to be batting leadoff. But this weekend, it seemed like every single time he came to the plate, it was a man on second or first and second, and he came through quite a bit. Um, what were your initial thoughts when you heard that was going to happen? I loved it. Um uh, I think seeing him up in the plate as your first batter of the game puts a little fear. And you saw it in that Sunday, that second Sunday game, leads off with a homer. And right from there, we put up three before, like, anyone can blink your eye, you know. And um, I think there's no holes in our lineup. You go to our seven, eight, nine. there's going to be some guys on base when Marty comes up to bat. He's going to get his RBIs. But just to start off that game, I think that already sets in the fear of – our game plan. Now, with you, you've been batting seventh, and there are some new newcomers in the order kind of around you, Taylor Wright batting fourth and Randy Bednar batting ninth. How impressed were you with what they did this weekend? Because they both stepped into a, a new team, a new lineup, and very impactful, right? Um, a community college transfer and Bednar, a true freshman, who's pretty highly touted coming in. I thought they just played their game. I think uh, they didn't try to get too big. Um, I'm sure they had a little bit of nerves coming into the game, but they handled it well. I thought, you know, they just played their game and helped us win. This coaching staff has talked a lot about how they they and you guys cannot be completely, you know, have your headset on results. That can't be the only thing that matters. But for some, that can be a little hard to understand the concept. Not necessarily not believing what they're saying, but what does it actually mean to you to not only be results-oriented? Um, I think it just means handing it off to the next guy. I think uh, um, I think AJ did a great job this weekend with that. There was guys on first and second, and he's trying to lay down a bunt to get a single, get bases loaded. You know, I, I think he's not trying to get too big. He's not trying to go up there and hit a homer 
and that's just one example. I'm sure multiple people did that this weekend, but I think it just handed off to the next guy. Last year, this team started on the road in Clearwater for three, then you had a three-game series against LSU, then three in Cary, North Carolina. This year, this weekend, I mean, you have a midweek uh, I believe this will be released Wednesday, so tonight, let's say, for those listening, at William & Mary. But then you're right back here this weekend against Army. How excited are you to have the home opener this early in the season? I was shocked when I heard that. You know, um, I would have never imagined we would have a home game this early, but it's actually really exciting. Uh, I think we're ready to go at our home field um, this week, uh, especially coming off a great home, sta- or home uh, record last year. I think we're ready to – start that up again I was really worried about the potential weather when I saw that because I I didn't necessarily doubt the games would get played I was just worried everyone would be freezing I'm looking at the weather app on my phone right now Friday is 50 Eh, not bad for February Saturday is 64 71 on Sunday but there's the little cloud with rain emoji so let's hope that doesn't happen but I mean that's going to be very cool to start the season that early at home then you have the Coastal Tournament following that, and you're going to go back on the road for a little bit. But what do you think is the ceiling for this team this year? I think uh, we can go as far as we want. I think uh, if we keep our mind focused, I think if we keep pulling together as a team and our will to win is the same as we had with Tennessee – um, I think we're going to win a lot of games. I think we're going to go really far. How excited is this team coming back? I mean, look, the second game Sunday didn't necessarily go the way you wanted, and for some people it could be easy to harp on that. But I think the right way to look at this is, the you know, you guys just went down to an SEC school and took two out of three, and you have the whole season in front of you right now. I mean, it's a great spot to be in. So how excited are you guys? Um, I think uh, we're very excited. I think uh, – um, we're ready to go against this good William Mary team um, tonight. And uh, I think especially playing a great Tennessee team, I think that just gives us a lot of momentum going in. So this weekend, uh, there was a lot of travel. We left on Thursday morning at 8.15, I guess, and the bus was about nine hours. There was a stop for lunch. But then, you know, that wasn't the worst thing in the world. It wasn't great. But the ride back. Um, I think we left at 8 o'clock, got back at about 4.30 in the morning. What did you do the whole ride? Um, well, I tried to sleep, but you know how that is. Um, so uh, at the back of the bus, we played uh, some Password, played the game Password. Really? Yeah, till about 4 a.m., and then we uh, decided that you know, only 20 minutes left, so we, we stopped that. I was surprised at the lack of Mafia this year because it was <laughs> – there was so much of it last year, and the only time I saw it being played was in the dugout during the rainout on Saturday night. Yeah, um, I think that had part to do with all the people sleeping on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we actually played uh, before the game on Sunday. Okay. Um, in the dugout right before the game, so that was our little pregame uh, routine right there, getting a game of mafia in. But uh, don't worry, mafia will. Uh, Definitely be part of the bus trips. I saw, I don't know the right word for this, but I'm going to say leader. Um, Taylor Wright was always already the leader of Mafia, and people (laughs) were surprised by that. Um, I think uh, he just wanted to be the the narrator. The narrator. Yeah. I think uh, no one else wanted to step up. I know Hunter Parsons and Blome did it for a little bit, but uh, I think Wright just wanted to be the narrator. So I was impressed because this was during the – we went to the field 
and it was raining on Saturday. The game didn't end up being played, but you guys were sitting in the dugout playing, and everyone sitting on the bench, and Taylor Wright, while he was the narrator, was just standing out in the pouring rain and really didn't <laughs> care, and then Blome became the narrator, and he was standing in close. He didn't want to get wet, so I thought that was pretty... I don't know if that's something from Canada that they have, or... I don't know. That, that might just be his thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, there are a group of seniors on this team that are back. You, Justin Morris, Taylor Bloom, just to name a few, Jankarski as well. What's it like to have gone through four years with this these guys, and now you know, you're know you here as seniors and you have a chance to really do something? Yeah. I think, not that you haven't already. Yeah. Uh, we came in, uh, I think there was 14 of us that came in, and I don't uh, – I think all of us would agree that we never thought it would come down to us four left, you know. Um, I, we always probably assumed that there was going to be a little more here, but uh, it's just a great group of guys. I think uh, all three of those guys, you know, I, I, we've gone to war with each other. Um, so I'm glad to be here with them. Now, Taylor Bloom, I think on the surface, is kind of a quiet guy, but I get the impression that he's really not. <laughs> he is not a quiet person. Do you have any – Safe for podcast, great <laughs> Taylor Bloom stories because I, uh, I have a feeling there are there are some. Um, I can't think of one right off the top of my mind. Um, now nah, he's been my roommate I think for two years, and we have quite the laughs, either laughing with him or at him because, you know, sometimes he gets a little angry at at what at little things. So, um, we actually have this whole in our ceiling right now at the house and uh he he hates this hole like this is his <laughs> nemesis is this <laughs> hole in our our ceiling and every day he comes down you know he has something to say about the hole in our ceiling and i just it i laugh because that's so bloom to just be mad at such a dumb thing and he gets so mad and it's just a good laugh every morning and he he has no idea how we're laughing at it but it just makes all of us just think how funny that is of how much he hates this hole do you know how the hole got there we have some sort of water leak that our landlord won't fix and it it just keeps getting worse and (laughs) he just every day he's got something to say about the hole are you not worried about the hole at all i don't care you know it'll get fixed eventually okay (laughs) is is yours the house with the uh the uh, the misprinted outfield wall in the the backyard yep we got that how's that Hang it. it's, it's, hold, it's holding up, yeah. I asked Taylor. He was on the podcast at some point in the fall, and he said it just kind of sits there. No one does anything with it. Is that still true? Yep. No one really touches it. It just along our little, like, uh, fence. I was hoping that you guys just went and, like, practiced robbing home runs <laughs> or something. Um, we do that, but not home runs, so. <laughs> who uh, who does the cooking in that house? Um, I would say Bloom probably does the most, but Will Watson usually cooks up some jambalaya and hands it out for the the house. So is that good? Oh, it's delicious. Okay, yeah. Watson from Louisiana. Uh, no deep dish pizza you're making? No, I can't make deep dish pizza. You, you need to have authentic deep dish pizza. We need to go to Chicago for it. So. Lou Malnati's is that? That's a good a good place. Yeah, I have a friend from Chicago. There's a there's a sandwich place he really likes. It's I can't remember the name. I'll tell you at some point. What it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, so now. You guys are getting going into the season, um, and it's looking all things positive, and the future of this program looks really positive. And Coach Vaughn always says, uh, do it better than it's ever been done before. I was uh, talking to him at practice today, and I asked him if he was still tired from the other day, and he said no. And uh, I said, well, I am. 
and he said, you know what, you're slacking on me a little bit. Feel free at any time to pick it up, start doing doing it better than it's ever been done before. And he said he wants me to start following the team rules of sitting in the front three rows of a class and not wearing a hat. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be doing that <laughs> at any time, but what does that kind of mantra mean to you? Um, I think, like I said before, it's just part of the culture. I think uh, um, you get to know your teacher a little more. You, uh, you show a little respect, and it just – Following rules, I think uh, that's what he's trying to set. And um, sitting in the first three rows and going to meet your teacher and uh, no hats might sound like a, a dumb rule, but that's his thing, and that's doing it better than it's ever been done before. So does that also kind of sh- spill over into other parts of your life in terms of the attitude around this team and how how there are things you can do to be a better person that don't necessarily have to do with baseball. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it teaches you how to be a better person. I think um, he's trying to teach that little things do matter. Um, They've been preaching to make our bed. You know, I've never made my bed until I came here. For some reason, my mom's been yelling at me for 18 years to make my bed, and I never made it once. But for some reason, they have me making my bed now. (laughs) You know, I, I don't know what it is, but. I make my bed every morning now. So, My last question I have for you is about what it's like when you have to come in a game and then go back to first base and all that stuff that we saw this weekend on Friday. Have you had conversation with, conversations with Coach Vaughn about making sure everything's set and you're not hitting a DH in a spot where it's now the pitcher's spot and things like that? How complicated is that? Yeah, we, we tried to work out something. Um, this whole The whole fall we had talks with, what should, what should we do and how should we work it? And uh, um, they just said, you know, we're, they came up this week and they're like, all right, just be ready for three innings on Friday. And I said, okay, I'll be ready. So about the fourth inning, fifth inning, I ran down to the bullpen, started warming up, and luckily Bloom just decided he's going to take over. And <laughs> so I only had to do one inning. But uh, But we always have a game plan. We always have a game plan going into the game and – I always ask him and Moose, um, how many innings, what innings should I start getting ready, um, stuff like that. And they're they very good with me. They work well. What do you think is your max right now of how long you could go in a game? Is it up to me or the coaches? Cause up I, to you. I tell them I got a rubber arm and I can go forever. You want to start? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm a starter, but <laughs> um, I probably could go around three innings. What do you like? Do I, I lied. I had more questions after I said it was my last <laughs> question. Um, what do you like doing better, pitching or hitting? I love doing them both. I love start playing first base and having to rush my way down to the bullpen and start warming up. I feel like you know. That I'm a, seems like you'd really like. I, that. I, I just feel like I'm a little kid again. I you know I just it just brings joy to like have to sprint back down there and then I got to hit again, so I got to sprint back into the dugout and. It's just fun doing all that again. How cool is it that you're getting to do something that most people had to stop at Little League and you're doing it in the highest level of college baseball? It's awesome. Uh, I don't think uh, there's very few people that can just say they've done both, and it's just fun for me to actually do both. You know, I love doing both. I didn't even want to pick one, but um, they decided, you know, you're just going to play infield. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then this year, they're like, oh, we need you for both. I was like, okay, you know, I'll do it. So, Kevin Biondic, I'm going to make the early season declaration. 
preseason candidate for the John Olerud Award for best two-way player in the country. <laughs> Let's hope for it now. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> you know. All right, Kevin. Well, thank you for joining us here. Good luck tonight. Good luck this weekend and the rest of the season. Thank you for having me. Our thanks to Kevin Biondic for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Now I'm back with my buddy Connor Newcomb. And, Connor, let's talk midweek. It was an issue last year for Maryland in terms of starting pitcher, starting pitching, who was going to pitch. It rotated a lot throughout the year. This year they start on Wednesday on the road against William & Mary. You'll be down there. The Terps and Tribe played twice last year, a 9-8 win for the Terps in College Park, a 6-0 win down in Virginia as well for Maryland. Yeah, last season it was a revolving door of midweek starting pitchers. I believe it was seven different pitchers the Terps used to start a midweek. But surprisingly, the Terps played ten midweek games last year, and they won seven of them. They were able to overcome a lot of big deficits, one of those coming at home against William & Mary. They were down 6 nothing early in that first game against the Tribe last year, came all the way back to win that one. There was another one against West Virginia, one against Richmond last year where they had huge deficits to start the game and came back. The bullpen kind of held it, and the offense did its job. But this year, again, you know, it's always a good team to play in William & Mary. It's one of the shorter trips they do in the midweek, and as you said, took them down twice last year. And it will be interesting, really, for Maryland to see who kind of takes the hill as that starting midweek pitcher this year. I think that's kind of the biggest question going into the year, at least for the midweeks, is who's going to start them. And that's kind of what it was all of last season as well. Yeah, and I think the options are something of Alec Tui, Mark DeLuya, or Elliot Zollner. Now, DeLuya threw a lot on Sunday. He threw more than Zollner, so that would lean me to believe that Zollner or the Fuzz might get this start, but... I mean, we'll see on Wednesday. Uh, but Maryland playing this William & Mary team that comes in 0-3. They got swept by Clemson over the weekend, but don't let that 0-3 record fool you. All three of those games were one-run losses for the Tribe, and they could have taken one, two, or even all three from a really good Tigers team. Yeah, especially they should have taken game one. The Tribe went into the ninth inning leading 4-1 to one in game one at Clemson to start the season. I mean, you can't put yourself in almost a better spot right there against a almost consensus top 25 team in the Clemson Tigers and they gave up three runs in the ninth Clemson got a run walked them off in the bottom of the 10th and then on Saturday another tough game they had a two nothing lead in the fourth inning in that game ended up losing seven to six and then a two to one loss in the Sunday game against Clemson so it's a women married team that they have some talent and the pitching was solid over the weekend especially in the bullpen kind of keeping the game where it was until they got late in the game, especially Friday night when kind of the closer came in and didn't get the job done. But you look at a team like William & Mary going on the road and really three times they could have beaten Clemson. That's a good sign for them. But also you look at it, maybe the bullpen's not where it needs to be if they weren't able to finish off any of those three wins. And a lot of times last year we talked about how Maryland did a good job in the midweek winning 7 out of 10, as you said, uh, beating the teams they should beat. And while I think... William & Mary is a pretty good group. It's also one that Maryland would hope and think they should be able to get a W against. Yeah, and we'll see, we'll see what William & Mary does with its starting pitching because obviously they're not going to go with any of their top three guys over the weekend. But they have two games this week in the midweek. Maryland only has one. William & Mary actually on Tuesday 
another home game. They will host VCU in a midweek. So you probably think they're going to throw out whoever they tag as their number four guy against the Terps and will go with someone else against VCU. But you never know with the game coming the day before if they've got a close game against VCU that they know they can win. They may be throwing some better bullpen guys later in the game. So it's going to be interesting to see really looking at this William & Mary team how they do the day before against VCU to kind of see how they'll fare against Maryland, especially in the pitching department. Two guys for the Terps that had really big performances against William & Mary last year were Zach Jankarski and Nick Dunn. Jankarski was 6-for-10 with six RBIs in two games against the Tribe. Dunn had five hits and nine at-bats against the Tribe. So uh, two guys to look forward, forward to. Ryan Hill started both games for Maryland against William & Mary. Was really good in one, not great in the other. We'll see how it shakes out this week, but I, I, I'm excited to see, and I think you're excited to see, uh, how the midweek will work out for the Terps this year because William & Mary does have a pretty good lineup. Yeah, and it's kind of led by, so far at least, the junior infielder, Zach Pearson. He was 4 for 11 over the weekend, had a couple of doubles, drove in a couple of runs. They've got some guys up and down the lineup who you know, didn't really start their season too well. A guy like Ryan Hall, a senior in the outfield, who had three hits, but he made them count. He had a home run, drove in four runs. They got some guys with some power in that lineup. We saw it last year. They're returning a good chunk of that lineup that took that early 6 nothing lead on the Terps in the first game the two teams played before Maryland fought back for the late victory against William & Mary. So it's going to be a very interesting matchup because William & Mary has some guys who can hit the ball now. No longer Colin Large, which was really the big lineup, the big bat on that team last year, was drafted. He's no longer with the Tribe, but still have some bats in that lineup. To see that matchup between a William & Mary lineup, which is one of the more solid lineups, one through nine, you're going to see in the midweek for the Terps against whoever they're going to throw out there in a midweek start. So it's going to be interesting for Maryland. Then over the weekend, the Terps will host Army, and I think both of us looked at the schedule and said, oh boy, late February, weekend series, College Park, Maryland, it's going to be cold, but the weather actually looks incredibly nice. It also does Wednesday uh, for the game at William & Mary, but the weather looks good, so it looks like the Terps will be able to get in all three games against Army this weekend. The Knights are coming off a 1-2 and two weekend against Michigan. They stole a game from the Wolverines, so pretty impressive. They were 25-31 and 31 last year, 10-10 and 10 in the Patriot League, so you look at that number and you say, chance for an early sweep for Maryland, but one of two against Mich or one of three, excuse me, one and two against Michigan. Pretty impressive from Army. Yeah, they had some uh, some tough uh, all three games really from their starting pitchers. Didn't really go out there and do what they wanted. But that Saturday game, they took down Michigan four to three. The bullpen came in and just did a tremendous job for Army in that Saturday matchup. Cam Op actually came in after the Saturday starter Matt Ball went four innings, gave up a couple of runs, walked four, and got his pitch count way up in just four innings. And Cam Op came in three and two-thirds out of the pen, did not give up an earned run, and he bridged the gap to the Army closer who came in and got the job done to beat Michigan. But I'm glad you pointed out the weather. The first thing I thought when I saw February series – in College Park was, oh, no, there's going to be snow on the field, isn't there? It's going to be cold up in the booth. But we are looking at some high 50s, low 60s weather, I think, for the weekend. And I'm also very glad you brought up Wednesday because to humble brag my trip down <laughs> to Williamsburg, we're looking at 81 and sunny down there for that midweek game in February just in Virginia. It's not like I'm going down to Florida or anything, just in Virginia in the 80s and sunny. So we'll be sending you some Snapchats from down there, probably in the polo broadcasting that game. But some nice weather for the week in a week we thought would be 
some frigid temperatures, but for the Terps, I think that means when it's warmer, the bats heat up more, and Maryland's offense is going to lead it. And I think Army had some real struggles with starting pitching, so I think the Terps need to be able to jump on the starters this weekend. Army's led offensively by John McKenna, who was the Patriot League Player of the Week. Last week, he was 6-for-13 with a double, a triple, and really was impressive against Michigan. Last year, McKenna only hit 111 in very limited action, so the sophomore uh, taking a big step, it looks like, for Army. So he leads them offensively. For Maryland, you have your Costas, you have your Dunn, and you have your Taylor Wright, who was really impressive last week. I was a little surprised or... I don't know the right word for it, but when I saw him penciled in in the cleanup spot all three games this weekend, you have the transfer coming in, and he didn't miss a beat starting his Terps career. He was very impressive doing things with the bat and with his legs and did a solid job at third base as well. Yeah, Taylor Wright coming in, you know, you didn't really know who was going to play third base for the Terps throughout the winter. You obviously, Kevin Smith at shortstop getting drafted by the Blue Jays, and you saw A.J. Lee. We really kind of saw that transition coming even last year when People kind of knew that Kevin Smith was going to leave for the draft. A.J. Lee's natural position is shortstop. You saw him slotting over there, and then there was an opening at third base. You were thinking, would it be Kevin Biondic to move over there? You knew they had the two transfers, Brad Barnett, Taylor Wright coming in. Could somebody else, one of the freshman infielders, come in and maybe take that spot? We did see Tommy Gardner come in defensively for an inning when Kevin Biondic went to the mound Friday night. But it looks like it's going to be Taylor Wright's position at this point, especially since Rob Vaughn was so excited about him a couple weeks ago when we talked to him saying, hey, you're, that's a guy you're going to see in the middle of the lineup. And, of course, he's slotted in that four spot all three days. So I think he's going to be a big part of the lineup. And something you talked about earlier, having the lefty Nick Dunn hitting third and him hitting fourth, that's a position in late in games you're looking at, oh, we're going to bring in a lefty and get these two guys out. But if Nick Dunn or Taylor Wright or both can show that they can hit lefties, that's just a nightmare scenario for opposing teams. Something I'm interested to see, this week from Maryland in the midweek and on the weekend is how this aggressiveness that they talk so much about in the offseason uh, plays out. In the first game against Tennessee, it seemed like it didn't necessarily play in Maryland's favor considering three players got picked off and all in all they gave up five outs on the bases and a 4 nothing win was the final when it really could have and maybe should have been 6 or 7 nothing. But then that kind of went away on Saturday well, there was no game on Saturday that went away on Sunday in the doubleheader. Uh, it seemed like Maryland played a little bit more conventional. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this plays out the rest of the year, starting with this week. Yeah, and it, it was kind of a team that did something a little out of the ordinary as compared to the previous couple of years last year, which is a Maryland team that really ran the base as well, at least in the stolen base department. I mean, you had guys like Madison Nickens and Will Watson, who I believe went the whole season between them, only got caught stealing once between the two guys out of LSU Eunice, and you had other guys who were really doing a nice job on the base pass. But you had a couple guys get picked off on Friday night, but then you saw some guys taking bases maybe on their own. I know Kevin Biondic stole second on Sunday in kind of a ill-advised move a little bit late in the game, but he got to second, and that was a, in a big point in the game. So, you know, you, you want to see the team be aggressive, take the extra base. saw Maryland steal third a couple of times, which I'm not the biggest fan of because you're already in scoring position at second. But if you can advance a base and you know you can get it, you should take it. So we're seeing them, you know, jump, try to jump on the first pitch a lot, especially in game one Sunday. I think the Tennessee starter was only around 20 pitches through about three innings, maybe almost four innings, and the Terps were jumping on everything before, you know, they finally got to him or at least got to that Tennessee bullpen after he had to come out of the game. But, you know, it, it's a give and take. You want to hit the best pitch, but sometimes if you're not making perfect contact, that pitch count's going to be low and you're going to have starters staying in the game. So, you're just sitting there hoping that Maryland, when they're being aggressive, they're making the right decisions and being aggressive at the right times. 
So that midweek game against William and Mary will start at 4 o'clock in Williamsburg. Connor will be there and on the call. Maryland Baseball Network pregame show starts at 3.30. And then the first home weekend series of the season, the 23rd, 24th, and 25th of February against Army at Bob Turtle Smith Stadium. First pitch Friday scheduled for 4 o'clock, 2 o'clock Saturday, and 1 o'clock on Sunday. That will wrap up this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to Kevin Beyondick for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, as always, for updates at MDBaseballNet. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash MDBaseballNet. Check out our content at our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, subscribe by searching Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store. Just a reminder, now that the season has started, we will be going every single week here with the MBN podcast. So for my partner, Connor Newcomb, I'm Justin Galanti. We hope you join us Wednesday for the game against William & Mary and then all weekend long in College Park as the Terps host Army. So long, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>